Subscribe to The Leader through your podcast provider and make sure you don't miss out on any of our episodes released at four o'clock every day. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marslin. The Queen has delivered her speech. Can Boris Johnson deliver the revolution he's promising? The language used by Boris Johnson over and over again is the word radical. He says this is the most radical Queen's speech in a generation. That's quite a big claim. Our political editor Joe Murphy on the challenges facing the government, even with a big majority. Also, TfL bosses are really quite concerned about the impact of this on the bottom line. If fewer people use tubes and buses, they simply get less cash. It's as simple as that. City Hall editor Ross Lydell on why fewer people are using public transport in London. And... Come on! The critics have their claws out for cats. The standards David Sexton gives his verdict on the most talked about movie this Christmas. It's just so embarrassing. You feel transfixed with horror all the time, as well as being boring and having no story. And we also have a Christmas message from the renowned pianist Stephen Huff. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the Queen has spoken, but the real revolution will come quietly. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My lords and members of the House of Commons, my government's priority is to deliver the United Kingdom's departure from the European Union on the 31st of January. The Queen's speech went more or less as expected, with Brexit at the top of the government's priorities. But there was one intriguing bit of legislation that, perhaps appropriately, seemed to sneak in unnoticed. Measures will be developed to tackle hostile activity conducted by foreign states. 
a landmark overhaul of security laws to crack down on spies, saboteurs and hackers was revealed. For the first time, agents of foreign states who abuse social media to disrupt elections could be jailed. There will be no Russian revolution in this country. But our editorial column believes the government itself is quietly plotting its own. And what the Queen did not say may be more important than what she did. There is one genuinely revolutionary piece of legislation in the Queen's speech, the EU Withdrawal Bill. It's been argued over for so long that we forget how far-reaching it is. But the Queen's speech is largely silent on what replaces it. That's the crucial detail that will come later. On days like this, it's worth remembering that radical governments do not detain the Queen for long. Their reshaping of the state is achieved by relentless executive focus and meaty budgets. Major public service reforms are achieved through a very small number of landmark bills. Like the most successful revolutions, little is announced in advance, and it's only when it's over that people realise how much has changed. Our political editor Joe Murphy is in our Westminster office. Joe, there seemed to be an awful lot unsaid in this speech, but the government's preparing huge changes for the United Kingdom. It is, and, and, the, and the language used by Boris Johnson over and over again is the word radical. He says, this is the most radical Queen's speech in a generation. That's quite a big claim when you think back to some of the co- things the Coalition did, or if going fit further back, when you think of the 1997 agenda set by Tony Blair, which did indeed um, change Britain pretty radically in its own way. Um, but certainly, with leaving the EU top dead centre of the speech and the first words the Queen said... This does count as a major change that's coming our way. Not very many big surprises in the Queen's speech. There rarely are. But this was really interesting about this overhaul of the official secrets and these kind of new laws to stop spies and Russian interferences in our election. Why is that such a priority? Well, this is a priority. This is a reminder, actually, of, 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 of how the bright young political things aren't actually driving everything in the agenda. This crackdown on foreign intelligence operatives who are here as agents of influence and other people who the law currently has big cracks in that they can slip away in. This is something that intelligence communities and security experts have been diligently and quietly working on for quite some time. They're looking at faults in the Official Secrets Acts, which could go back over a century, the Treason Act, which goes back to 1351, I think, and they're saying, well, these need updating for the real world or new laws creating to fill those gaps, such as it's perfectly okay to work for, say, the Russian or North Korean governments as long as you're not caught actually bugging or stealing documents um, but you can sit on the internet creating as much havoc as you want by spreading conspiracy theories or using intemperate language to try and foster divisions in our society or making claims to undermine elections there's actually not a law that is adequate to putting those people out of business at the moment and this is going to change that And, of course, the Queen's speech is the the first opportunity for all of our new MPs and the old ones to all hang out in a room together. What's the atmosphere like that after, you know, an election? It's a pretty momentous election. Well, of course, we we waited two years for a Queen's speech and now we've had two within a space of two months. And so a lot of the bills were quite familiar from the last Queen's speech in October. But at the same time, the reception is 100% different than you had 
a hung parliament, deadlocked, no certainty that anything that was announced would actually get onto the statute books. Now you have a giant majority and a totally different mood. And of course it's a great colourful occasion and a couple of takeaways politically from that in the procession from the Commons to the House of Lords. You saw Jeremy Corbyn walking alongside the Prime Minister, as, as tradition dictates, but he stared dead ahead. A very sour, I have to say, expression on his face, looking most grumpy, and the Prime Minister was looking from side to side and occasionally casting quizzical looks, amused quizzical looks, it has to be said, at the leader of the opposition, uh, but was studiously ignored. Then behind them, Emily Thornbury got into a sort of barging match with the Scottish National Group leader, Ian Blackford, tried to, in her view, push in front of her in the procession, so she asserted her place bodily. Um, and, of course, the person they'd all gone to see, the Queen herself, at the age of 93, was, I think it has to be said, showing her age. She read the speech in a very clear voice indeed, but sniffed a few times, suffering from a cold, and she had a, almost a misstep on the stairs up to the throne. Um, and it's a reminder that uh, she will not be doing these occasions forever, and we have to enjoy her as long as we have her. Next. You may not have noticed, but fewer people are using London's public transport, and outside the city centre, car use is up. With a mayoral election next year, we look at what could be a major issue. If you squeezed onto a tube train on November 29th, you were not alone. More than five million journeys were made on that day, the busiest in the system's history. But data from Transport for London shows growth on the underground is actually tailing off. There's a similar story on buses. Meanwhile, car use outside the city centre is rising. Our City Hall editor, Ross Lydell, is at City Hall, where he should be really, but he joins me now. Ross, what's behind this drop? The reasons for this drop are twofold, really. The first is the state of the economy. Transport for London says that there have been fewer people coming into London, whether that is for business, for work, uh, domestic tourists or international tourists. And uh, they attribute that to the sort of the flatlining economy over the past five to ten years. So that's been quite gradual. The other factor is the change in the way people work, that with technological advances, the rollout of broadband and so on means that it's much easier to work from home. And also, people may not have a conventional 9am to 5pm job anymore. So roll all, all that together and essentially there's fewer people getting tubes and buses. This must be hitting TfL's bank account. Are they not worried about revenues? Uh, TfL bosses are really quite concerned about the impact of this on the bottom line. They have already lost around £700 million a year in government subsidy to run the tubes and buses. That was withdrawn in the last couple of years and it means that basically TfL must break even on a rolling basis. If fewer people use tubes and buses, they simply get less cash. It's as simple as that. Do you think this is going to be a big part of the mayoral election next year? One of the key lines of battle is likely to be what uh, Sadiq Khan's rivals call his war on the motorist. He does plan, should he be re-elected, to expand the ultra-low emission zone to the boundaries of the north and south circular roads by October 2021. 
At present, the ULES, as it's known, is just in the same area of central London as the congestion charge zone. But if this zone is expanded, uh, people who have older vehicles, more polluting vehicles, will have to spend £12.50 a day to drive their cars. Now, this shows essentially that people are much more dependent in the suburbs on cars to get around. There simply isn't the same connectivity as it's known between tubes and buses and trains out in the suburbs. Um, so these are the typical Tory heartlands as well. So Sadiq Khan may struggle to win votes there and may have to rely on the sort of Labour heartland of inner London if he wants to get back into City Hall. Cat got your tongue. Here we go. <laughs> Filmed in Hertfordshire with a largely British cast and inspired by a collection of poems by T.S. Eliot, who gave up his American passport to become a British subject. Cats, the movie, based on a British musical, has already proven its value to the UK film industry. But what about its box office? Critics have not been kind. Our own David Sexton says it's nearly as obscene as the human centipede. But he did give it two stars and is with me now to explain why. David, there must be something redeemable about this then. It has good actors in it who are absolutely traduced and lost, basically. Uh, I thought it would be unkind to give it none, but I see that um, in The Telegraph, Tim Roby has actually given it no stars whatsoever, and in The Guardian, Peter Bradshaw has given it one. So I feel I was over-generous now. It's a tough thing to turn into both a musical, which was obviously extremely successful, and a movie, because there's not really a plotline to T.S. Eliot's Cats, is there? There never, no, there never was a plotline. They're a collection of verses, each one presenting a character. Uh, so, you know, Lloyd Webber and Trevor Nunn um, invented this idea that one of the cats would ascend to heaven. It's like a kind of proto-talent contest. So they presented themselves and there was a winner at the end. Um, and that's all that there is in the film. And it simply doesn't sustain a 90, 100-minute film at all. There is no story, no story whatsoever. Uh, the critics have been very colourful in their criticism. Is there a point when you see a movie like this and you go, right, I'm going to write the definitive line? Oh, that's absolutely what film critics do. They're a very competitive little bunch and they knew this was going to be a disaster and so they were honing themselves ready for it before it happened and they'll be all looking at each other's reviews and sort of thinking who's, you know, sunk in the sharpest claw. Obviously, bad criticism or not, that means lots of people are talking about it. I'd imagine a lot of people are going to go and see it, even if it's just to see, is it really as bad as people say? Is there a possibility for this to be one of those cult movies that, that somehow becomes a success later on? I can't really speak for musical fans. I find them inexplicable to begin with. Uh, I think, you know, you enjoy musicals by abandoning your critical faculties. So maybe musical fans will get something out of this but I don't really think it's going to work as a kind of camp cult classic because it, it's just so embarrassing you feel transfixed with horror all the time as well as being boring and having no story and here's one more thing since it's nearly Christmas The pianist and composer Stephen Huff, that's him playing Liszt, has released a memoir, Rough Ideas, in which he talks about his life as an international performer and reveals his thoughts on subjects from the people he's met to the existence of God. 
He's taken a moment to write for The Standard, asking, can we believe in Christmas and not believe in Christ? And the man who describes himself as a Christian with failing batteries has recorded an extract for the leader, which we've put to his own composition, Hallowed, performed by the 16. Christmas has an evergreen, perennial appeal because it can reset the human machine. We spend all year winding ourselves up into coils of tension and fear, or tying ourselves into knots of rancour and ambition. And then Christmas gives us the opportunity to wipe the board clean. There is something subconscious about the appeal of Christmas, not dissimilar to the way we hear music. A composer or performer can know every nut and bolt of the score, every harmonic change, into the deepest musicological forest. But our reaction to hearing the vibrations in the air, or seeing the babe in the crib, awakens something in us which is beyond analysis. A sense of being heard as we listen. A sense of wonder. A sense of the possibility of good in the world. Some people, stumbling for words to describe its source, have called it God. Maybe Christ never existed, but Christmas does. And it contains a profound wisdom for living a better life. It may only be a symbol, a story, but it's our story if we want it to be. And it's gentle juxtaposition of simplicity and service with a healthy celebration of material goods can be our best hope that the story which is ours will have a happy ending. And you can read all of Stephen Huff's Christmas message in the newspaper or online at standard.co.uk slash comment. You can go and see him too at the Wigmore Hall next month. That's the leader. Don't forget we have our audio news bulletins ready for you at 7am every morning. Just ask your smart speaker for the news from the Evening Standard. The podcast will be back tomorrow at 4. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.